We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City on June 4th. We are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. Today we're discussing Mariah Carey's memoir titled The Meaning of Mariah. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and I'm so excited to discuss Mariah Carey's book today. It's everything you want in a memoir. Often when I read celebrity memoirs, I feel like I fall in love with the author or become besties. But what I'll say about this book is that, one, I already loved Mariah. But what really happened for me in this book is how much I came to respect her. I really, really walked away from this book respecting the fuck out of her, which, you know, is arguably more important than liking someone. So um, I'm excited to dive in. And my guest today is Lydia Popovich. Hi, Lydia. Hi, how are you? Lydia is a phenomenal stand-up comedian. She's traveled all over the world. She's performed at all the top comedy clubs before they were shut down in the pandemic. She was named San Francisco's number one artist to watch, and she she has a starring role in the sizzle I shot with Ashley Nicole Black two years ago. Um, it's never been released, but I am listing it as one of your credits because I'm proud of it. And yes, I will post a clip of it on my Instagram. Um, so Lydia, you and I first met when I was a writer on a multicam. And one night I went to the VIP tent and it was hour six of taping. Everyone had gone home and there was just one person sitting in 
a chair. And I couldn't understand how someone was still there. And she was so glamorous looking (laughs) and just had this like beautiful take no shit look on her face that I, for some reason, was compelled probably by wine to walk up to her and be like, who are you? What are you doing here? I love your lipstick. And then Lydia pointed out to me that I came up to her complimenting her lipstick while wearing the exact same shade of lipstick myself. (laughs) Um, And it's a wild purple pink. And Liddy, I think we should post photos in that lipstick when the podcast comes out because everyone should own it. I agree. I 100% agree. That's pretty much spot on how I remember it as well. I just remember seeing you come over because obviously we were in this little like VIP area. So that's where you would acquire the wine if you were to acquire wine. It, I'm not that, saying that is that you where were. you would acquire wine if you were on the job. Yes, that's where it would happen um, next to Chinese food or whatever spread was there. This is the best way to meet a woman. Like, the best way to meet a woman. Best way to meet a woman. I think it perfectly encapsulates our friendship. And I'm so excited to recap this book with you. So let's dive in. Let's do it. I'm so excited. The book is in four parts. Wayward Child, Sing Sing, All That Glitters, and Emancipation. And Mariah released an album called Rarities that goes with it. Uh, Both of us highly recommend it. And One cool thing about this book is that Mariah has a female ghostwriter who is also a black woman. Two rare things for a celebrity ghostwriter. So this is super cool. Her name is Michaela Angela Davis, and she has an amazing resume. Most interesting is that her ghostwriter styled Anita Hill in the 1991 hearings. Um, Wow, It's so nuts. Those (laughs) hearings literally set the precedent to give a name to workplace harassment and for it to have repercussions. And Mariah Carey's ghostwriter decided the dress she was wearing when she was making history. So fucking cool. Um, And throughout the book, Mariah describes exactly what she's wearing. And through her outfit, you get a clear picture of what was happening emotionally. And I fucking loved it. And I was like, okay, I see why her ghostwriter is a stylist. I mean, we're talking a full page describing her outfit from sweater to boots. In, like this in, book goes into accessories. An intricate detail to the point intricate where you literally detail. can visualize. There was times when she was describing iconic outfits where I remembered the picture that was in the paparazzi photos where I was like, oh, I know exactly what she's talking about. I remember that quilted skirt. Like amazing, God, right? It's such great scene painting through outfits, which uh, I just, yeah, I know we both fully love a good outfit vibe. Um, And, you know, real quick, I would say go watch the Anita Hill movie with Kerry Washington in it. It's called Confirmation. Um, I haven't seen that. I I will add that. I didn't know. You know, you could read the history, but this is a celebrity memoir podcast. Why would I tell you to do that when you could watch a movie with Kerry Washington in it? Just don't watch it until um, after the election because Joe Biden does have a key role in that movie that you're not going to (laughs) enjoy. Okay, so I want to begin by reading the prologue. I refuse to acknowledge time, famously so. I've made a lot of jokes and memes about it, but it's a very real belief for me. I cried on my 18th birthday. I thought I was a failure because I didn't have a record deal yet. That was my only goal. It was as if I was holding my breath until I could hold a physical thing, an album that had Mariah Carey printed on it. Once I got my deal, I exhaled, and my life began. From that day on, I calculated my life through albums, creative experiences, professional accomplishments, and holidays. I live Christmas to Christmas, celebration to celebration, festive moment to festive moment, not counting my birthdays or ages. Such a funny intro to the book. Iconic response to time. Like, do you understand, like the depth you have to have and like the self-love you have to have to just kind of just 
shade time. Like, oh, darling, yeah. don't need it. You know what I mean? No, like, Don't need it. Don't need don't, a calendar. I, I get it. You are a thing, but don't need it. No, and, don't need it. And her age is misprinted in the media all the time. As I was going through this book and trying to figure stuff out, I found I found places that print that she and, Mar- and uh, Tommy divorced when she was 23. In reality, she divorces when she's 27. But, I mean, her age is wrong everywhere. And so it was, it was kind of hard recapping this book. And it's like, oh, yeah, because you don't count your birthdays. <laughs> That's why no one knows how old you are. Um, I will say the darker side of this is that immediately it was clear to me that Mariah has PTSD. And her relationship with time, to me, was someone suffering with that. And I feel okay saying that because Mariah later confirms in the book that she does have PTSD. What is missing from the book is that Mariah gave an interview later in life saying she was diagnosed bipolar when the glitter stuff was happening. And that's not included in the book. And so, you know, it's interesting to see, like, what's here, what's not here. And mental health is incredibly personal, what you want to share or not. And it influences other people. So I get it. And it, But it also made me realize, like, what I love about these books. Because people always say memoirs are so one-sided. How can you believe them? It's just one person. But with celebrity fem- female memoirs, particularly, you know, really big celebrities, we have the other side. We've already heard the media and everyone tell us their side of the story. So what we're missing is this woman's side of the story. And this is really a book where Mariah tells us what it was like for her. And sometimes she spins it and I'm into it. Well, (laughs) and that's what, yeah, I respect that because it's like, it's one thing to tell your story and there's one thing to tell your truth, right? And the two are are not the same. There's the story and then there's your truth. And with somebody like Mariah Carey, when the whole world wants to know your truth, it's so much easier just to give them the story, honey. Like, why waste the time? So I really appreciate that she sat down and chose the moments to share and chose to share them the way that she did. She was incredibly vulnerable. I really did get, like, everything I wanted from this book because she took that sort of approach to it where let me tell you my story in my words, in my way. Yeah. Yes, and her way. And even if she's skipping stuff, it's still a really fulfilling book. Um, She has this line in the beginning about how she, her whole life hasn't shared a lot because she was trying to protect her inner child, but maybe, in fact, she kept it a prisoner. And that really, I mean, that was like an arrow to my gut where, like, you have to share your ugly truth to be free, and Mariah does that in this book. Well, and also just acknowledging the fact that, like, there's an inner child there that lives within all of us that, like, when you are fucked up, it's because that bitch is sad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she needs a (laughs) hug. Like, she needs a cookie. Like, she is still feeling like a terrible little person. And, like, it's very difficult to be an adult person because we all want to grow up and be functional and be real. But you can't do that without, like, hugging that child and without making sure that that little girl or that little boy or that little they inside you is safe. Yeah, so true. And this, Mariah really wrote this book to her inner child, which sounds dorky, but that is what this book is. The first part of the book is filled with a lot of really intense abuse. It can be really hard to read. I know Lydia listened to the audiobook and read it at the exact same time. (gasps) Intense. But I'm glad that I did that because it made it feel more personal listening to her voice walk me through and literally tell me about her abuse. It didn't feel as intrusive because I feel like sometimes, especially if you've experienced any abuse in your life, reading it can be very triggering. And you also feel like you're you're spying almost, even though someone's written it for you. So it was nice to have her words. And I could also, I was calmed by the ease in which and the tone in which she shared things. Yes, that's so cool. I'd have heard nothing but incredible things about this audiobook. I've heard it's like one of the best memoir it's audiobooks of all time. She weaves music the through best it. One I've ever so cool. To, ever. 
One, that says a lot. Um, <laughs> one really big theme from these these early childhood chapters is Mariah's really talks about the intense struggle of being mixed. Her mom is white, her dad is black, and she really goes into the intense racism she endured, her family endured, and also for being white passing and those complexities. So this book is really a great textbook for racism and what it's like to grow up being mixed. And meanwhile, it's with all this Mariah gossip around it. So this really should be a textbook in schools. Um, it's so that's a <laughs> I I don't know how this is possible but I talked to someone the other day who did not know Mariah was half black till they read this book that's you know that's crazy it's crazy that's but I, I don't think they're in I don't think that's an anomaly I think her I career was so whitewashed totally. for a certain amount of time there are people who don't know that so this is her really talking about some stuff that really needs to be talked about um there are so many horrors in the childhood part of the book that we, we have to skip a lot but what I'll say is the amount of abuse Mariah lived through is things you never would have imagined. She has a negligent, chaotic mom who is a failed opera singer, which really gives you insight into Mariah's voice. Mariah has a sister named Allison who does horrible things to her, like tries to pimp her out, drugs her, throws scalding hot water on her. Later, you know, and Allison lived through her own abuse in this family. Right. Um, Allison later becomes a prostitute. She contracts HIV and uses Mariah's lyrics to advertise her services. So this is an, a complicated relationship. And then Mariah's dad and brother are always fighting. It's really violent, and the cops are always being called. On top of all of this, their family, being an interracial family at that time, dealt with things like neighbors throwing raw meat with shards of glass in it into their yard so that their dogs would eat it. I mean, it's just harrowing stuff. And, and imagine going it. through that and then making time for dreams. You know what I make time for drinks? Like, let me, like, I'm seven and living in a world of torture and terror that most grown people wouldn't know how to react to. And here she is making it through and also carving out dreams. Yeah, uh, such a good insight. And, you know, she doesn't say it in the book, but I think it's very clear her dad hit her mom and her siblings. I agree. And I think Mariah protects her dad a lot in this book. She doesn't give all the details, but she's going through a lot. And then she talks about, how when she discovered her voice and that she could sing and how it gave her a reason to exist. And while it sounds fucking dorky, this is how I feel about comedy. My, my life my life was just so much pain until I found comedy and suddenly um, everything clicked and I had, my, my, my brain made sense. And Dude, when same. she wrote about music, yeah. Absolutely it's so powerful when you like, find People always that. ask you, you know, like, you know how, do you, how did you get into comedy? What started it? And I feel so cliche, but I'm always very honest. I'm like, oh, severe personal trauma. Like, that's <laughs> what got me into comedy. I was like, nothing else could go worse. Fuck yeah, let's do this. Let's go embarrass the shit out of myself. And then was like, oh, JK, this is incredible. <laughs> I love I it. I mean, <laughs> listen, it, it, trauma should have a should have a silver lining, and yes. if it's the fact that yes. you can be funny, then <laughs> then we, we we should get something. Um, so Mariah has tragic Christmases throughout her life, and that really created her drive, her pretty intense drive to have an amazing Christmas. And from that pain, Mariah forms her legacy, which is that Mariah really is the one who created popular music for Christmas. Like, she kind of brought that back. And she wrote All I Want for Christmas is You at 22 years old. Bow, bow, bow. And bow, 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 bow. <laughs> I mean, what was I doing at 22? Like, trying to have sex with someone who didn't like me? Like, yeah, exactly. she's over here. Um, so incredible. And 
To quote um, our amazing producer, Daisy Rosario, uh, Mariah Carey has been treated like a pop star and a performer, but she is a songwriter. She writes all her music, collaboration or not collaborating. She's a songwriter, and we have not given her that respect in that zeitgeist. And this is something Daisy brought up. You know, Mariah's had 19 number one songs. To compare, Billy Joel had eight. Okay, and yeah. we we're like, oh, Billy Joel, incredible, you know, songwriter, and we haven't given Mariah her due, and she's pissed about it. She's had a number one single for the past four decades. She's the only artist in all of time, including Dolly Parton, who is probably the only other person female that's written more songs than Mariah Carey. What? I mean, it is that's. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And, you know, Mariah says this in the book. Like, if you're a woman, if you have a certain aura about you, people do not credit you with music- musicianship. They, they're they just like, oh, you're some trollop. And I will say, you know, I'm a comedian, but I did uh, did do some comedy songs as part of the, the show I was a part of. And I once wrote a song where I was the only person on stage. And this was a show where comedians, you write your own material. Everyone knows you write your own material. I was the only one up there. And fellow comedians would come up to me afterwards and be like, oh, great song. Who wrote that? And I was like, bitch, You me, son of a bitch. Me. Yeah. But, and yet, I turned around and did it to Mariah. I did not know Mariah wrote All I Want I For mean, Christmas Is You. I mean, I knew she wrote that, but just because I was, like, obsessed with that song. So I, like, and that's why I loved it. I was like, it's so cool because my dad was obsessed with Christmas music and actually made me hate it. And this was a song that br- brought me back into the fold. Brought where, you like, back. I could not deny it. And so he would, like, play music, play music, and then he'd play that song because he knew he could win me back. So I was like, why do I? Mm. So I had to find it out. But it is true. It's so crazy. I mean, I have people ask me as a woman, as a female comic, if I write my own jokes, and I am pissed when it happens. I cannot imagine having a lifelong career as a popular songwriter. Like, I'm a comic that nine people know. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? But Mariah fucking Carey? And including myself. Yeah, making millions for people. I did not understand the depth and breadth of her catalog. Of just how many, and we're not just talking just songs. We are talking hit money-making, genre-changing songs. And we're not just talking about lyrics. We are talking about composition and melody. Yes. That's tremendous talent. Someone without formal training, someone who hears it by ear. This woman has an angel's gift inside of her. She has been anointed with music. And has been working her whole life, and none of us are giving her the respect. Like I feel like I'm at the church of Mariah Carey, and you are baptizing me, and yes. I'm here for it. <laughs> oh, I'm here for it. Um, one other cool story that when I was booking book clubbing this on my Instagram, I, I talked about how Mariah went to this theater camp, and she was in Fiddler on the Roof, and she played Huddle, and... A friend of mine messaged me and was like, hey, I have a friend who went to that theater camp. And they told me a story about how it's so cool. On they, I guess the theater camp stayed together. Mariah had a had a tough childhood, so she went like one summer. They were kind of racist to her dad. No, they were really racist to her dad. She never goes back. (laughs) But that, you know, everyone else stays in this Facebook group. And and so someone a few years ago was like, oh man, remember that? Huddle, who was incredible. Like, whatever happened to that girl? And someone else was like, bitch, that's Mariah Carey. <laughs> Such a good story. My my friend Jenny shared that with me. So funny. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so another huge theme in the book is the theme Marilyn Monroe. Oh, um, yes. I think Mariah Carey drops Marilyn's name minimum 20 times, if not 75. Uh, it's all over the book. And I- I've always sort of thought liking Marilyn Monroe was basic. You know, every girl likes Marilyn Monroe, whatever. And I I rolled my eyes at Marilyn Monroe artwork in people's houses. And 
after reading this book, I've ordered every Marilyn Monroe book <laughs> under the sun. I have her art hanging up in my house. I got so into Marilyn through Mariah. She, you, I learned so many incredible things about her, so much so that I tweeted at Mariah Carey, and I said, through you, I fell in love with Marilyn Monroe. And you guys, Mariah tweeted back at me. Yeah. A few that- times. <laughs> that made me die. I was literally like, drop my phone, deceased. I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. I was like, when do I tell her I have a podcast? Um, <laughs> I, it really was really hard to keep my cool. And then Mariah goes and buys Marilyn Monroe's mom's piano. She says she rescues it. And it becomes her most treasured possession. And the, the piano is all over the book. It's like, we met here at the piano. The piano was here. The piano was here. I loved it. I mean, as a super fan, because I am a super fan of Dolly Parton, and if I like something, I really like it, as you can tell by, like, the biblical way I'm speaking about Mariah Carey. Like, I, when I like shit, I really like shit. Uh, I respected her sharing this so much, because sometimes people think that's corny. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I just like, what a, what a powerful thing to be like, I am now have the money and the means to go acquire an item that I know is charged with power from a woman that I feel energy is by. And then to bring that into your home and then to have so many of your own epic moments and be like, oh yeah, that's Marilyn Monroe's fucking piano that I rescued. Like, I've just been searching for a Dolly Parton 1976, uh, you know, pinball machine, but that's like not from her house. Like, now I'm obsessed with like, what can I find? Like she has a house in Brentwood that's up for sale. And I'm like, how much is it, bitch? I'm going to buy it. I don't even want to live there. I just want to buy it and visit when I'm sad. Okay. <laughs> Celebrity book club. Everyone put in one one hundredth of the down payment. We buy the Brentwood home. We move oh into God. it. And um, then power up coven. Yeah. <laughs> power up coven. Oh God, we need the coven. Um, so uh, that, yeah, that's a really cool part of the book. And I love how much she loves Marilyn so Monroe. Cool. She, she's a fan herself. And, and, oh. I, I now love Marilyn Monroe, too. It's such a bummer. So Mariah gets bullied throughout her life, uh, often for being biracial, but sometimes just for being talented. And sh- sometimes because she has three shirts that she puts in rotation. And I bring this story up to say I had a CK1 shirt that my mom bought me. I remember we went to the mall and she's like, I've got $20 you can spend on anything. And so I bought the shirt with the biggest logo I could find. And I would wear that shirt on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And in my head, I was like, I'm giving everyone a day off. They'll never know I'm wearing the, you know, they'll think it's a different (laughs) CK1 shirt. And when I was book clubbing this, Lydia was like, oh my God, girl, I had one third a skirt that you owned with two other friends and you wore the skirt every other day. Yeah, I had a jean skirt. It was a guest skirt. I could not afford it. My other two friends certainly could not afford it. So we went three three ways on it. And it was sisters. So like they had basically two thirds ownership. But we split it out over the days of the week. And like no one was any the wiser. You know what I mean? Oh, like I, yeah. I don't I, think anybody ever figured it out. But it was kind of gross because I'd get the skirt and it had like a big old ketchup stain on. I was like, bitch. You, like Our skirt. Like everyone saw you drop that chicken nugget yesterday and now you're just going to give it to me? Like, do I have to? Uh, okay, cool. Let me shout <laughs> it out I so could... I can go to school tomorrow. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I wish I could redo Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants with just more reality. Like it's not yes. magical pants. It's it's we're all poor and we've gone in on a denim skirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's and trust me, I, I was the fattest of the three of us. So like I was pouring my fat ass into that skirt. Like it required <laughs> help to zip that shit up every once in a while. So they'd get it back after the days I had it and be like, it's all stretched out and I'd be like good I hope it stays that way so I can keep it like that was yeah. my like my lightweight was my strategy is I'm gonna stretch this skirt out so these skinny hoes can't keep the skirt it's gonna be mine <laughs> that is so funny and what is especially interesting Mariah you and myself we all grew up to be the most extreme 
extravagant, dare I say, gaudy women who borderline are too much and too extra. And Mariah had this quote that I love. Um, She had a gunkle. She calls him her gay uncle, her gunkle, who, quote, fully supported and understood my propensity for extraness. Oh, oh, I love it. If I was on Tinder, that would be my only requirement. Do you fully support and understand my propensity for extraness? The phrasing is just the phrasing is so good. And you know, it's perfect. just life is too boring to worship being normal. And that's a lesson you learn early when you don't have access to being normal. Yes. And it's like that Dolly Parton quote that that is so incredible. Quote, I would never stoop so low to be fashionable. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. And Dolly right? Parton's also over the top. Real mm. theme here for us. Um, okay. Which brings us to, I think, my favorite part of the whole childhood section, which is um, Mariah Carey, when she's a teenager, goes to make it big between graduating high school and making it. It's it's only three years. And Vision of Love blows up in 1990 when Mariah is 20. When the song blows up, Mariah and her mom drive over to a horrible girl's house who had invited her to a sleepover when she was younger and called her the N-word. And as her song plays, they just stand there outside of this girl's house. I swear to God, if someone could film this, it would be my porn. Like, this is, like, what I would get off to. Like, what an incredible revenge story. Just, again, iconic levels of shade. You know what I mean? She had, like... We are seeing the groundwork for some of the shade that happens as she gets older and she moves into her grand witch phase of don't, I don't know her. Like, this is just, she showed up. Like, she played that song and then just stared at motherfucker's house. I swear to God, Lydia, if you ever hear like, oh, Chelsea's TV show went on air and she like brought a laptop playing it and stood outside her name. Bitch, call me. I'll rent a fucking, like, I will rent a convertible. We will put up a fucking, fuck a laptop. Let's get a display. Like, like, let's get a private projector. (laughs) Like, let's hang it off the back of Winnebago and drive anywhere you want. I will do it. You are my ride or die. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's like another, you know, this career is the hardest fucking thing in the world. If a silver lining of it is isn't that you get to put it on display to the woman who tried to ruin your life or man or whoever, you know, I don't know what is. Take it where you get it, man. Take it where you get it. Take it where you get it. They never pay you enough. So you got to pick up the little extras where you can. (laughs) (laughs) I will take a payment in that. Um, So then we get into part two of the book, which is titled Sing Sing. It's titled that because Sing Sing is what Mariah names the $30 million mansion that she and Tommy build together, which she pays half of. She's a teenager. He's an old dude. (laughs) She pays half of it. Um, And the house is next to the prison Sing Sing. And what is incredible about this title, and Mariah is so good with titles, is that the house became a prison for her because Tommy was so controlling. And, but first, before we get into that relationship, Mariah has moved to New York City. She's going nuts to make her career work. I felt she had such great advice for how to make it when you come from nothing. Like, if you don't have connections and you don't have money, the Mariah Carey work ethic is what's up. And she does a ton of stuff. You got to read it in the book. But she also meets Will Smith at a a gig she's singing backup from. There's a picture from that night. I'll put it up on Instagram. It's incredible. They stay friends. He helps her make her career. And then in 1988, when Mariah is 18, her roommate gets an invite to a big industry party, and she goes to this club, and she meets Tommy Mottola. 
this story is like, it's like a destiny story. It is kind of, you know, when you pour your heart into something and that faded moment hits you and Tommy takes her CD and listens to it in the limo and she had her demo on her in her little purse and this is how they meet and get married. And again, she's 18, he's like 42 or something. And again, a propensity for extraness. She had such faith and truth in herself that she kept not even, I think it was like a whole Walkman. It wasn't even a CD. It was like a whole Walkman. He took the whole ass Walkman out of her hand because she was like, no, no, not just a CD. I want you I got to give you the device shit. to play it on. Yeah. Like, and I love that she included that whole stuff like in, in the book, right? Of like, it wasn't just like, and then I was famous and everything was great. It was like, she walked you through all the garbage. Yeah. And also I, I feel like a common thing with, with, with this part of your life is you'll be like, oh, I want to be fill in the blank X so bad. I want to be a singer so bad. And then there's a moment where someone goes, okay, give me your song. Yes. And I feel often people are like, well, I don't have it finished yet. I'm not right. really. Duh, duh. And it is the person who's like, here it is. Here's the full yeah. ass CD that, that, you know, who makes it. So quick crossover about Tommy Mottola. This is also the man in Jessica Simpson's book who tells her to lose weight when she's Ugh. 16. Super dope guy. He's Ugh. in charge of so many women. Gloria Estefan's career, tons of women. Um, so lots of stuff happens in the Tommy relationship. There's a story about how Debrat and Jermaine Dupree come to record a song at Mariah's house, and Mariah goes and gets French fries with Debrat, and Tommy loses his mind because she's not allowed out of his sight for five minutes and yells at Jermaine Dupree. There is a moment where um they argue over like whether Puffy is going to be the future of music or not. Tommy says no. Mariah's like, he's going to be incredible. Tommy's so mad. He, in front of a group of people, is like, Thanksgiving is canceled. Which is ridiculous because if you know anything about Mariah Carey, like, why would you cancel Thanksgiving? She gives no fucks about that. You cancel Christmas. Make an impression, Tommy. Yes. You never even knew that bit. Tommy. You clearly don't love her. You're canceling the wrong holiday. Um, he does other horrible things. Like, he has security cameras on her. He has her followed. He controls her career. He doesn't let her make decisions. She's one time given a scrapbook from all her friends, and Tommy burns it. Mariah literally never saw this scrapbook. Her friends told her about it years later. Jesus. He burned the scrapbook because he didn't want her to know that she was loved. And he whitewashed her image and her music. And I just want to call out all the men who become managers of powerful women and then ruin that mm. woman's life so that they can keep yep. control. Tina Turner, Jessica Simpson, Cher, Mel B. This is just another example of like, these women are doing the work and the hustling. And this man becomes a manager and just takes her down, including Tommy hid from her that she had fans. And Lydia, you had a really great section from the book. Yeah, you to it's, read about it's it. a little bit later in the book, but it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, she says, after Glitter, many people wrote me off. But as Jimmy Jam said, don't ever write Mariah Carey off. And I say, don't ever write anyone off. You don't know where the strength comes from. I will always go to my main source of strength, my faith in God, but also love for my fans and all of the people who didn't give up on their faith in me. This is not to say that I don't struggle with PTSD from the collective events of my childhood, my marriage, or the dark glitter years. I work on my emotional recovery daily. It's truly fascinating how insignificant the press has become in making or breaking an artist's career, in shaping our narratives. I still feel like the parts of the media are patiently waiting for me to have another spectacular meltdown. Actually, I've noticed how some people stage breakdowns for publicity. But the difference is in today's world. They don't matter. Now all artists have an unfiltered voice and enormous public platforms through social media. The tabloids have become pathetic, rubbish wrapping paper. I've always known them to be. They're out of power. They cannot hurt hunt, 
destroy any more of us. Our fans can come to our defense, bring all the receipts, and create a united front so strong that no bland host or commentator or ravenous paparazzi can even begin to compete with their influence. We are the media. I only wish that Princess Di had lived long enough to have Instagram or Twitter. I wish she had lived to see the people become the press. Perhaps she and others would have lived to tell their story. I am so grateful to my fans, and I'm alive to tell mine. Like, yeah, I mean, it's that's just so incredible because, you know, Mariah Carey's been obsessed with her fans. A lot of people are like, thank you to the fans. It always sounds dorky. But in this book, you you really come to realize that Mariah is all alone in this relationship with Tommy. He tries to hide that she has fans. And one night she sees that the street, the streets are shut down and that she has all these fans and she begins speaking to them. And they really are her only friends at times and she as you can read in the book she has all these lyrics she's been talking to her fans about everything this whole time her fans the memoir is no surprise to and they become her lifeline and what keeps her alive and that goes to what you just read in the book which is that being able to talk to the fans is what got mariah through which is why she loves them so much and always makes her work for them They totally become her shining light, especially in these Tommy years. When she realizes that they're there, she just puts all of her attention, all of her focus. Every time she's writing a new song or performing a new song, she always makes mention in the book that it's for her fans, that it's for them, that they deserve it, and that she always feels energized. Like That's what brings her back is knowing that she has this like undying, unconditional love and connection to this universe of people who see her and get her and hear her. Yeah, because when the press was being horrible to her or Tommy was being horrible to her, the only people listening to her were the fans. She wasn't even allowed to have friends. So this connection is so strong. I just want to point out in what you read, it's so this is perfectly Mariah. In that beautiful, beautiful paragraph, she says so much, does manage to shade people who throw their own breakdowns, (laughs) but then also is like calling out Princess Di and how she wished she had had this lifeline. And like, that is Mariah. Like, she's so complex. And also it shows you how smart she is and how she realizes the strength of her own power and that she knows that having control of that narrative, you know, to go back to what we said earlier, telling your story and telling your truth are not the same thing. And there's power in sharing the right part of that. And I think that is a crucial part of why she is Mariah Carey and why she does connect with those fans and why people do hook into her and are there for life. There's not very many artists. It is artists. the propensity for yes, extra that have that. You All know? the way. It's, it's so inspirational. All right. So now we're going to take a little break. But when we come back, Mariah becomes a superstar and has to get out of this marriage to Tommy. Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, we are back. Mariah Carey has blown the fuck up. This is like peak Mariah Carey in the 90s. And with success comes psychos. And that is another huge theme of all of these memoirs where when a woman gets really successful, people start to come for her. And Mariah gets sued a lot. And I want to point out it's by people, at least with the song Hero, I looked up everyone who sued her. She was sued three different times for that song. It was by people who never really did anything or accomplished stuff on their own, which is so wild where it's like the head... Yeah, it's like the headline is like, oh, my God, sued for stealing a song. And it's like, okay, by who? And this, I, I just, the it's person so who, funny to me to think that, like, especially if you're not, like, because some of the people that sued her, like, weren't songwriters. Like, they were just people, oh, right? So one of the people who sues her twice is a bodyguard and... It's not her bodyguard. It is the bodyguard to this different actor who the bodyguard said he gave his poem to this actor. And he thinks that guy gave the poem to Mariah and she stole it for Hero. And I just want to say, God, I hope that's true. Because nothing makes me laugh harder than thinking of a bodyguard sitting in a car writing. And then a hero comes along (laughs) with the strength to carry on. And it's like, oh my God. How many times do you think oh, that guy God, watched want... The Bodyguard and was just like, oh God, damn it. Why isn't that my oh, life? God. Like, oh, I'm a hero. Oh, I'm a hero. I'm a hero. It's um, just so silly. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. And like, I, I just, I think it's such a nice headline to be like, oh, she didn't even write it. It's like, oh God, she wrote 19 number ones. Well, and the fact that like, they're not even considering the fact that there's parallel thought. You know what I mean? Like when I was a kid, me and my cousin tried to feed a Cheerio to her cat Queenie and we were like, just eat it, eat it, eat it. You know, watching MTV. And then oh. like Weird Al came out with that song. And I remember she and I, when we heard it, looked at each other, we're like, what? And, like, we thought we wrote it, but, like, I didn't send, like, a letter uh, 
to Weird Al being like, hey, uh, is it possible that you live inside my cat and stole this song from me? Because maybe? Like, <gasps> well, little, listen, Lydia, maybe Statue of Limitations. Do you think I st- you, doesn't you have still legs? got a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's tough. It's tough to hear all those things. But she throws them shade, moves right along in the book. She is now deep in this horrible relationship with Tommy, who finally, a light in the tunnel, Tommy says they can go to couples therapy as long as it's with his therapist. Sounds legit. Sounds super (laughs) legit. I I will say, when I read this, I was like, what a great therapist. She knew this man was a psycho because he was her client, and she knew she had to help this girl get free, and she played the long game and gave them couples therapy. I will say my friend Ashley, who was in the Jessica Simpson episode, was like, this is the worst therapist. (laughs) Why didn't she call the cops and, like, you know, help this woman get out of this I have a client that is for sure abusing his wife. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So, but it's tough, you know. There's there's a bunch of HIPAA stuff. I don't know, but I, I thought this therapist was great. Sometimes people aren't ready to, to to change, and she slowly changed them. She helps Mariah get space and get permission to take an acting class, which is all Mariah wants to do. And Tommy hates it. And this is a win for Mariah, and it's foreshadowing how much glitter is going to mean when she finally gets to make a movie she acts in and how bad the failure hurts because it's what Tommy doesn't want her to succeed at. So when she doesn't succeed, we can see why this is going to have such a big impact on her life. One of the other things the therapist does, though, is the therapist helps them have a separation. And the first night out on her own, Mariah meets she gets Derek right Jeter. And Right, gets right to it. And she bonds with him over being mixed race. And Lydia, you pointed out they had the exact same parents. uh, A white Irish mom Uh and a black dad, And she hears him say that and whips her head around so fast to stare back at Derek Jeter and then immediately is interested in him. Immediately. Yes. And she's like, oh my God. She feels seen for the first time in her life in a world that has not seen this complex Mm -hmm. life she's been living. And so they start having an affair. And this memoir really gives it up that, like, this is while she's married to Tommy. And they do things like plan an elaborate heist for her to sneak away and and run through a pizza shop and then up onto this roof where they have this date and they make out slash probably more, but she says they make out. I do not believe that she did not fuck Derek Jeter on that roof. I'm sorry. She wrote a whole song. Listen, I, I want it yeah, to be true. She wrote a whole song called The Roof. I don't care. I mean, I've had some passionate kisses in my life, but bitch, let's be real. Uh, no kiss has never made me go home and be like, let me write a, a no. Like, come on. You, you think they oh, were fucking. I mean, yeah, 100%. so exactly. She writes The Roof. In the book, she's like, what happened in the song is exactly how yep. it happened. So I was like, I got to go re-listen to this song. Um, I mean... Yeah, you're right. You're right, and I, I hope. Well, they and also, tonight. like he he admits to her that he's a huge fan, that like oh, yeah. that he's been oh, yeah. a fan of hers forever. That like he wanted to get a CD signed, and she like rem- I forget the exact situation, but like she had signed some CD for him to like get seats. Oh, he had her poster up on his wall. Yeah, I mean, also. What foreplay right? for a man to be like, I've been obsessed with you. I had your poster. Please be with me. I mean. Especially after you've been living in like a prison that you paid $15 million for. Uh, by the way, what a way to become a first homeowner. Uh, yeah, here's $15 oh, yeah. million dollar house or $30 million, but whatever, you know, her half. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to nail down Mariah Carey's age at this moment. I got to tell you, misinformation all over the place. But I think she's I think she's 23 to 25 right here. Um it, it's tough to find but she's she's a young girl. Like the shit I was doing when I was 25, I mean like this is what right. she's doing. And 
Okay, so then oh, this is one of my favorites. Incredible moment. This is in the book. one of my favorites. She. It's so good. She hears that Derek Jeter might be in Puerto Rico and convinces Tommy to that she needs a girl's trip. She flies to Puerto Rico, hoping to run into him. They have not communicated. And it works. She runs into him in a club. I just hope every crazy bitch, I say that with love, is so validated right now. The next time your girlfriend is like, should we go by that bar just to like see if he's there? Yes. Be like, Mariah Carey flew to Puerto Rico. Yeah, we're going 100%. to that bar. And yet again, even in this Puerto Rico trip, she still insists that they didn't have sex. And I'm like, all right, so maybe you didn't fuck on the roof, but you definitely fucked in Puerto Rico. You don't leave the country to, Puerto Rico. to go to a sexy ass island hoping to run into a dude that you didn't fuck on a roof. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. No, ma'am. <laughs> I'm with you. I am so with you. And, but, you know, they eventually do have sex. And she says he is only the second person she'd ever had sex with, which means Tommy Matola married a teen virgin. So fun. Um, and so then, you know, she has this relationship with Derek that really inspires her to get away from Tommy, but she also did not give him the credit she didn't give Derek all the credit she she wrote DJ for Derek Jeter DJ was a love in my life not of my life it was the idea of him rather than the reality of him that was so magnetic in the end I'll chalk up our ending to the fact that we couldn't live up to each other's fantasies one can never compete with the fantasy you just can't it's like Marilyn used to say they go to bed with Marilyn Monroe and they wake up with Norma Jean dude which nailed it first off that's not a Marilyn Monroe oh, quote. It's not? That's a, that's a Rita Hayworth <laughs> quote. Uh, someone in the book club on Instagram pointed that out, which is so funny. But also, it's who cares? Great. And it uh, works. It's great. It works. And But yeah, it's a Rita Hayworth quote. And she, also I will say, she says that Derek Jeter and Joe DiMaggio play the same position in baseball. Joe DiMaggio was married right. to Marilyn. She's like, oh my God, it's fate. That's also not true. They did not play the same position. Uh, my friend Julianne pointed that out to me. So, you know, book. Celebrity memoirs aren't right. fact-checked. That is something, a full takeaway from I every agree. memoir. There has been weird facts wrong in all the yeah. books. But what I loved about that is that she's like, you know, he inspired me. There were better men out there. And I could finally get out of my abusive marriage. At the end of that marriage, Tommy's like running knives along her face. Crazy shit. But she finally gets free. And that brings us into part three of the book, All That Glitters. Oof which is about the making of glitter and the breakdown that happened. She says, quote, the saga of making glitter was a collision of bad luck, bad timing, and sabotage. So good. And, you know, she says Tommy is behind the sabotage of glitter. I will also say, I think Tommy's behind uh, how this podcast recording failed the first time. I think so, too. You know who's to say? He definitely has dark arts, like still, like there is still a dark altar in whatever basement. He's got to have money in Zoom because you guys, this is our second recording of this Mariah Carey podcast. And I will say the first one was two and a half hours long. Um, we are skipping so much to do it again. And it's because Tommy got us. Bastard. Um, okay. So one big thing I want to say is that I had never seen glitter before. And when I was Which reading the book, I crazy, went and watched but it. I'm so glad I, you had a chance I know, to experience so it all in one. I mean, I'm. I, it was such a great pandemic yes. movie, too. It's such a gift waiting for you. Um, Glitter is incredible. It's incredible. It's campy. It's ridiculous. It's cheesy. It's so fun. Every other Netflix movie that has come out this year that's just like a cute, you know, chick flick or whatever, 
glitter blows I that shit so to pieces. Too. I can't believe we were so harsh to it's, it. I think it's because everybody had this big idea in their hair of what Mariah Carey was supposed to be. And also, let's face it, everybody loves a pop singer to be a terrible actress. Like, they just, they yes. love to bring it down. Anybody who's too good at something, they can't have them be great at something else or even work towards that. We expect them to be great instantly, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Like, Beyonce, they've done the yeah. same thing. Beyonce is an amazing singer. Like, it's okay she's not a great actress, but, like, doesn't mean she can't act. Give her a chance. Yeah, and, you know, I didn't, you don't watch it going, like, best performance ever, but it's, like, it, you're not, like, oh, my God. It's just, you know, it's just a great, cute, sweet, easy Correct. movie. Like, and it's fun, and, like, it is, it kind of speaks to this era with women, like, one mistake, yep. you get blown to pieces because they love yep. to tear you apart. It's fun. It's fun for those, you know, the magazine and whatever, the magazine industry. Um, so here's what happens with Glitter. It's, it's a lot, but here are the headlines. Tommy was still connected to Glitter, even though Mariah had gotten out of her contract, because the movie was produced by Columbia, which is owned by Sony. And he always feared her acting and blowing up and being a big star, so he's out to ruin the movie. And Mariah knows this. If this is also the nightmare of an abusive relationship. Your fear yeah. is that you will leave the relationship with the powerful man and you will suffer repercussions. That's the fear. That's why women stay in abusive relationships. And this fear came true. 100% or you're not going to be able to thrive, right? There's either repercussions or that you won't be as good as a person as you currently are because somehow that person gives you power, whether you like it or not, right? Yes. Yes. And the fact that that came true and this leads to a breakdown makes complete sense to me. And, you know, there's other weird things in there. This is where you can feel some of the spin, and I just don't even care. But, like, there's a there's a weird paragraph about how, like, her acting teacher was maybe sabotaging her. And I was, was like... strange, what? too, right? But then also... Very like odd. you said, I'm, it also doesn't matter. Yeah. But also, let's also take a pause and just remember the first chunk of this book of that tremendous pain that I don't know if she had other breakdowns before, but this may also be the first time that literally, like, this was the last fucking shred of hair that she could put on top of the pile without everything having to fall the fuck down and break the back, you know? It, it just, that happens yes, to people. Yeah. And, and clearly, you know, a lot of things went wrong. I'm sure a lot of things went wrong on her fault. Uh, that course. were her fault too, but I do want the movie about whatever that acting teacher was up to. I mean, that, that was, you could tell there's so much there. I want to read um, the script but you know, she kind was of, up to. Because I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I need that. And, you know, uh, she did another Marilyn Monroe comparison here. We're like, Marilyn Monroe's acting teacher got in her way, too. I loved it. Um, but through all this, she gets to before the breakdown and she's like, in the darkness, I learned to make my own light. So and this important. Is, you know, so important. And that's why I love these books. I love when it's like, how do you come back from this failure of this abusive man winning? And Mariah does it. But first... <laughs> What happens with glitter is also the reason for this J-Lo drama uh, and yes. feud, which is so thick, so intense. Listen, I, I, I never really thought this feud was real. I was like, oh, the press always pins, pits uh, women against each other, whatever. <laughs> no, no, it's real. It's very she real. She goes in on J-Lo throughout this book. What happens is that Mariah had the hook ready for the song Lover Boy, which is going to be the debut track in the movie Glitter. Tommy kind of gets uh, gets his hands on Glitter, sees what's going on there with that track. He goes behind her back, buys the rights to that track, and gives it to Jennifer Can Lopez. Can you even? And Mariah, oh, just oh, so frustrating. So 
Mariah thinks J-Lo is in on it. Uh, I think J-Lo's sort of like, this was just given to me. But then Tommy is over here busy trying to build up Jennifer Lopez's career as a way to be like, this is our new songstress. Fuck Mariah Carey. He even gives a duet Mariah was supposed to do with Ja Rule to Jennifer Lopez, which is a song that I fucking loved in high school. (laughs) The the I'm real. Um, So this is the start of, you know, then, then Glitter goes and fails. And that song supposedly fails or she feels it does. And so the anger she has towards Tommy and the anger she has towards Jennifer Lopez is still existing. That's where she has the I don't know her moment or on Larry King when she was like, he brings up Jennifer Lopez and she's like, you know, I have a God-given talent to sing and make music. Her thing is something else. So great. She, um, in, in the book, she refers to her as an entertainer. Not once does she refer to her as a singer. She says, and she doesn't use her name either. She's just like, a certain entertainer. I don't know her. Like, literally, yes. this... I still, I still don't know, know her. her. This chapter is short, but, like, the it's so beautifully written. Like, I want to chew up yes. every single word and just be like, ooh, this is how you are cleverly cunty. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, I mean, she... <laughs> What I do like about this feud and why I'm here for it is that it's about work. It's yes. about artistry. It's yes. about your your music. And so I'm I'm here for this one. And it gets even more complex. So when Mariah Carey in the book was talking about Derek Jeter, I just thought it was A-Rod. Because look, you guys, they look pretty similar. They're both players on the Yankees. And the whole book, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, she's talking about what it's like to have sex with Jennifer Lopez's fiance. Okay, no. No, I, I got them wrong. But in me getting it wrong, my friend Paul Palmieri and some other sports fans who are a part of the book club explained that Derek Jeter and A-Rod used to be good friends and also have a feud. So Mariah, Derek Jeter, Jennifer Lopez, A-Rod, the two women have the feud. The two men have the feud. It's incredible. So I want to do justice to this Yankees baseball feud. So I want to bring on our amazing podcast producer, Daisy Rosario. She's a huge Yankees fan, and she's going to break it down for us. The A-Rod and Derek Jeter feud starts the way that I think the best feuds start, which is that they actually started as friends. So both of them were like shortstops coming into baseball at the same time. They're playing for different teams, but they're like both these like superstars, you know, keep an eye on them. Here are two beautiful beige men on the cover of magazines who are going to be big superstars over the next few years. So like because they're going through that whole experience of like starting at the same time, they're buddies. And then over the next few years, you know, they have their careers. A-Rod's a great player, but his team's not winning World Series. Derek Jeter wins a bunch of World Series. And then A-Rod gets like the biggest contract at the time in the history of baseball and gives this interview in a magazine where he like shit talks Jeter. Like, you know, he doesn't have to do what I do. He doesn't have to lead like, look at that team, look at the support he has. He can just like show up and play and I have to like be amazing. And also I'm more of a power hitter and that like ruins their friendship. And then like two years after that, the Yankees like, having won a bunch of World Series and having like two years where like they didn't win the World Series. And and I mean, this is why I often say that like being a Yankees fan is the closest I come to experiencing what I hear it is like to be a white man in America. Cause like, you know, like they just win all the time and like they get what they want and they have like resources other people don't have. It's like including being able to just like go out and get the most expensive, like, well-known player at the time. And, 
You know what I mean? This again, it's like two years of like not winning the championship, like not two years of being bad, like two years where we didn't get exactly what we wanted. And then we like trade for A-Rod as if we're going to make this like Frankenstein incredible team. But it's super weird because you don't take a superstar shortstop. You don't take a superstar from any position and switch them to a new position. But Derek Jeter is already the shortstop for the Yankees. So A-Rod becomes a third baseman and it's weird. And the fans remember the shit talking. Time goes on and Derek Jeter is like, super beloved like when he was retiring all of major league baseball gave him like a send-off tour for a year a-rod's career ended with him getting suspended for performance enhancing drugs so you know ultimately even though a-rod has um i think like become more liked as he's done more like tv stuff his relationship with j-lo has helped rehab his image in a major way yeah mariah's not like with Derek jeter but she got jeter who was the better one like at his peak so i think ultimately I think Mariah still wins this one. I think Mariah still wins this feud. Another feud about the work. That's the kind of feud I'm here for. I mean, I was doing the math on this like I was Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting, like trying to crack a fucking code. It was it was the greatest oh find my of my gosh. life. And I just feel like we need dueling TV feuds. Feud oh series. my God. I just want to um, see the diagram. So I want to see the wall with the, like the, the oh, I'll send you, yeah, I'll send with you the glittery my... bric-a-brac connecting the connections. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> the lines of puppy paint telling the truth. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's exactly. Oh God. It was, I was having a whole moment. And what I also found interesting in this is that, uh, you know, Mariah Carey shades. She, oh, she yes. talks trash she talks, shit. she talks trash yeah she talks shit and yeah i guess i will say shade is accurate because she doesn't use names nope. she doesn't use details but her meaning is clear and jennifer lopez for her part of it stays out of it and is like i know mariah she's a nice lady like she doesn't do it and i really was just thinking a lot about like oh what what is the better way to be in a feud? Like, do you go in or do you take the high road? I think and you like- go in. I think you do it like Mariah because you're telling, you're, you're being honest, right? Because otherwise it's like being fake, which to me just fuels the fire. Like people don't, and especially in industries, not everybody's going to get along. I, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that I, I don't care for. And I would, I'll be cordial and I'm like, hey, how's it going? But it's like, if I don't care for you and you ask me, oh, why are you always called? I'm going to be like, I don't care for you. I just don't care for you. I, we're we're not. We sure. don't need to work together. We don't need to. I, no, I don't care for you. But if we do work together, I'll pull it together. I'm not going to be an asshole about it. But I'd rather be honest. And I'd rather have someone say that to me. I'd rather have someone be like, "She's funny, but I don't know. She's stuck up." All right, cool. I appreciate that. Like whatever the case. Mm, that's it. Oh, that's a really good way to look at it. Think of what you would want done yeah. to you. I will say. Here's this was my takeaway. Um, Mariah has a lyric in her book and uh, and she printed it in the book hate on me as much as you want to you can't do what the fuck i do bitches be emulating me daily chef's kiss and i decided i'm just gonna get that tattooed on like one of my boobs and then if i get in a feud with someone they're gonna get flashed like the left one or something and they can just read that and know what i love it (laughs) I love it. You should make all of your Um, friends memorize that. So wherever they are, it's like this like siren call and somebody can just stand up in a dark room and just start reciting it as your tits wag. And then they can hear it. Oh my God, that is the coven chant. On the daily and just make it a whole event. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, this is our new religion that we're starting after this podcast ends. Um, So, okay, so that's what's behind Glitter. Glitter, the movie and the soundtrack flops. The soundtrack comes out on... 9-11. 9-11. There's an iconic image Oof. of the billboard with the Twin Towers behind it. Truly insane. 
I will say the breakdown is so, uh, what happened in reality in the press and in this book is so layered, we would need nine hours yes. to go into it. So you just got to buy the book. But the headlines are her family, Mariah Carey believes, plays a huge role in her, in her downfall and that they wanted her to lose control. So and wild, I will also say man. families, it's so sad. Fa families leading a woman a powerful woman and a moneymaker into a breakdown so that they can take control is another theme. That's what we're looking at when we look at Britney Spears. Yeah. It's what happened with Amanda Bynes. And I will say another person who had a breakdown, Courtney Love, all three of those women, Amanda, Britney, and Courtney, all had Sam Lufty Ugh. as their manager before they had breakdowns. And Amanda Bynes, her family was working with Sam, and she is now in a conservatorship as well. So... That was what was coming for Mariah, and she almost fell into it. Some highlights of this are, like, she goes in the middle of, of not going into work and having this breakdown. She goes to her mom's house. She finally gets sleep for the first time in six days. And that's documented. Mariah Carey does tons of interviews where she's like, I can't sleep. I'm not sleeping. I need to sleep. She finally goes to sleep. Her mom wakes her up, and Mariah loses it on her. And takes all her childhood trauma and makes fun of her mom with, I tried my best, I tried my best, which sounds like they needed to have that coming. But then Mariah's own mother called the cops on her. And I think in the press at the time, it's like, wow, if your mom calls the cops on you, right. you're, you've lost your mind. But in reality, Mariah takes us through all the times her mother had called the cops throughout her life, which is um, upwards of like 20. And she talks about her, her mom, a white woman was calling the cops all the time on her black husband and her black son. And it's really another textbook chapter on the original Karen. 100%. And being a Karen. But I think it's also important for people to read that because I think that there are a lot of um, people who are self-identifying, liberal, non-racist, socially aware, you know, oh gosh, you know, Black Lives Matter. But when it comes down to it, still do not understand that their white privilege is knowing that they can call the cops. That that's an option. Right. That thinking that calling the cops is something that you do. Wherein, when you're raised in a family of color, or if you are just live in a neighborhood that's like that, like the cops aren't called. You don't do that. That's actually the worst thing you could possibly do would be to call the police. Yeah, and and Mariah's mom calls the police on her and her worst time, her lowest time, her most vulnerable time. Yes, when she's falling apart, her mom calls the cops. It's it's really really sad. And Mariah kind of gives into her brother during this time, where her brother. It has a very, very dark history. Even, like, going to jail for almost helping someone kill someone else when he's a kid. Like, very dark history. But she lets her brother take control. She's losing it to a degree. Like, she's having a hard time. And her brother checks her into a place called the spa, or she checks herself into it. I could not get that a handle a really on if this chunk. was... I was a little yeah, weirded like, out Yeah, like, is it a psychiatric institution, or is it a celebrity spa place with mental health components, I, I still don't know. And she's just, everything is collapsing on her. And here's where she also talks about how one time her mom went with her to receive an award and her mom got drunk oh, and then yeah. all night kept saying, I hate my daughter, I hate my daughter, I only love Morgan. And so Mariah being from that family still buys her mom a house, still does all these incredible things for her mom. But when she's at her lowest moment, her mom kicks her even harder, and so does her brother. And then, again, another confusing part, her her brother somehow gets her into another rehab, but this time in L.A. This is all during right. that breakdown part where, like, 
she'd gone on TRL, and Mariah's like, that was a press stunt gone, gone wrong, but MTV and Carson Daly tried to frame it like she'd lost her mind and like, came on to strip. And that was also so right around the time when like horrible. TMZ thing was like that genre of reporting, like that supreme paparazzi was like a whole thing. So I just thought that was such a low Great point by MTV and, and Carson Daly to try to like, oh, let's take advantage of this woman who we know we probably can. Yeah. I think if it was a dude who'd been a number one hit maker came on to your show and let's say they were acting weird, your first move is sort of like, you just have too much respect yes. for that. Whereas like with Mariah, she'd made millions of dollars and tons of hits and there's still zero respect. Yep. He throws her under the bus on air. It's, I, I went back and it's, rewatched it. I put it terrible. up on my Instagram. It's terrible. Tough. It's terrifying. It's really <laughs> tough. So then she's in another rehab in LA. As Glitter, the soundtrack's about to come out and she knows the movie's going to fail. And then the soundtrack comes out on 9-11. She's in the rehab at this time. Then the people at the rehab are like, uh, 9-11 happened. So you guys should leave, I guess. <laughs> so then she just like walks That's out so of the rehab. That they're like, this is a lockdown mental health facility where you, if you sign yourself in, you can't sign yourself out. And then all of a sudden, on like a day of great tragedy and terror, when people are probably at their least mentally mentally healthy, they're like, oh yeah, you guys probably should get out there to this fucking horror show. Get, just get on out there. Get out there. Oh yeah, yeah. Go, uh, go be with your families. I mean, Mariah literally puts on a tank top and goes and sings "Hero" um, at a tribute concert. She's like, "Mariah, I guess I'll go do this now." Also, what a turn of events too, where she's uh, whatever two weeks. I don't know what time. That's also the thing that's weird. It's hard to tell how much time has passed. But like, you know, she's kicked off of TRL. Everyone's you know maligning her, and now like the day they're like, "Oh, you know what? Dust off Mariah Carey. Get her out here. We need those pipes." We need to, we need to. Yes. And it's probably like, what, seven days? Yeah. So intense. One thing she wrote in there that really spoke to me is, um, I was drained. My soul was heavy. My face was vulnerable and hadn't had any protection in many days. That's one function of makeup. Even while giving a natural look, it can serve as war paint an invisible force field. It often does for me. It shields me from people literally getting into my pores and under my skin. But I had no such protection in that place. Oh my gosh. Makeup is warrior paint. If I have a religion, that's my religion. Uh, That's what I believe in. Um, No, And that goes back to our lipstick. Exactly, exactly. Well, and as comics, it's like, I mean, that was when I first started performing comedy. Like I... The first time I did like a show in front of people, people that wasn't an open mic, I wore red lipstick because I wanted to p- distract people from my face, but also look at my face. So I put on like mm. the reddest lipstick that I could find. And I had, I was really into winged liner at that time, but it was just like this red lipstick and it totally became my like purple feather, right? Like my Dumbo's feather mm. where if I was going on stage and I did not have red lipstick on, I would have the worst set. I would totally forget my jokes. I would like fuck up punchlines and I was obsessed with red lipstick I was like I have to put on red lipstick my makes Lydia better comic you know what I mean and it's exactly that thing that. it made me feel distanced but also empowered and yeah, I love ab- that it can provide that magic where it can elevate you and make you feel like the most powerful version of yourself or it can become your warrior paint it can be your mask where you like you don't know me this is what I'm painting for you today feel the fantasy you know what I mean Feel the fantasy. Oh, God, Lydia. Yes, I that, I love that. That's exactly how I feel. And okay, so Mariah Carey is 31. 
finally we after think. this event she gets her, we think <laughs> possibly um she finally gets her own therapist someone who specializes in trauma which is so important she finds out she has somatization which is where you stuff down your anxiety and pain so much that it manifests as physical ailments so you're like i'm fine but you know my hand gets numb sometimes that's yeah. what she had that's when she realizes she has ptsd she also recasts her family i thought this section was so interesting so she gives everyone powerful. different names Yes, her brother becomes her ex-brother. Her sister becomes her ex-sister. Uh, she starts calling her mom by her first name. I was so taken by this and then realized I also did this. Men who I once called dads in my life, um, who oh. were not my dads, I took that away. They get they got first names. And I did that when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it's like, you are not my father. You're not being a father. Now you just get a first name. I still refer to him that way. And um, I, I think it's really important for your own brain and your own heart to know the role people have given you. You have to draw boundaries and drawing boundaries with people is difficult. And so drawing boundaries with your family can be nearly impossible because you feel like you shouldn't be because they're your family. And we're always taught that like blood is thicker than water, like through and through, like you got to stick with them. But like, sometimes you have to draw boundaries when your family is toxic and truly does not have the best intentions laid forth for you, which I feel comfortably saying Mariah Carey's does not. Um, they, <laughs> she, one, if anybody has a toxic family, Tis Mariah Carey. Toxic isn't even the appropriate word, I don't think. Like, it is, I have, it's been a long time since I've read such a, like, traumatic childhood. So bad. And so I will say, then in, in this part of the book, she talks about how she found God. And throughout the whole book, I was getting real hardcore born again vibes. And I was like, is Mariah born again? Was she always Christian? Like, have I missed this? She really finds God later. And it helps her with a lot of healing. Um, she finds, you know, her grandma ran a church and she goes back and kind of picks up her ancestral roots and it, it really heals her. So mad respect to that. Um, my religion is makeup. Hers is actually God. You know, let's see how we do. Um, then after all of that, Lover Boy, the song she was so worried about, the song T Tommy Fucked Over, ends up becoming the best single of 2001. And she ends the chapter on a dig to Jennifer Lopez. Like, so literally after all that, she's like, I go to rehab, I come out of it, and I'm real, which is, and she puts it in italics, which is a reference yeah. to Jennifer Lopez's duet that was so-called stolen. So Masterful. funny. Masterful. So then, part four emancipation. So this is the shortest part of the book. When we got here, I was like, where's our Nick Cannon stuff? Where's all this, you know, stuff going to come? It's it's really short. She has really interesting things in this part of the book. Like she was dating the Mexican singer Luis Miguel during Which the breakdown. I the press totally actually forgot about until I read in this book. Oh, I was like, yeah. oh my God, that's right. Three years. Where was I? How did I miss this? Yeah, they dated for three years. And and the press was like, oh, she's having a breakdown because he broke up with her, which I don't think that's true. But also, she removes him from the glitter section and puts him in the emancipation section as if this was happening, totally again, on a different, different. timeline because she doesn't respect time. Um, their story is so great. Uh, so weird. My biggest takeaway is that they're both Aries and somehow made it work for three years. <laughs> Sounds like hell. Fuck. Then she starts mentioning <laughs> Tanaka who is this backup dancer. That's actually his last name, but she calls him by Tanaka. You, When you read the book, you're like, oh, this is a thing of the past. It's like a special friend that she had sex with. No, this is her current partner. I, oh, I, yeah. And she, he's hidden throughout the book. So she, she kind of has him here and there. She doesn't give him like, now I found my real love, which is smart because oftentimes 
people put those chapters in, in memoirs, and when the book is published, they've already broken up. Right, so which she is doesn't do terrible. that. <laughs> terrible. But they are in love, and he is on the gram. Um, and so then, uh, then she talks about how when she met Nick Cannon, and she didn't really know who he was. Her friend Debrat from all those years ago hooks them up. Nick, much like Derek Jeter, is obsessed with her as a kid as well. This is another, like, women with traumatic childhoods dating younger men theme, like Demi Moore, Cher, Mariah, right. Tina Turner. Um, Mariah does this. They move fast because they want to have kids. Mariah has a miscarriage that she talks about and then withdraws from the entertainment industry, focuses, focuses fully on getting pregnant, and she has her twins. She has a very respectful, very vague paragraph about her and Nick divorcing. Uh, it's maybe a sentence long. My takeaway is it was expensive. It was expensive. That was my takeaway as well. They had a prenup and it didn't matter. They still, it was still expensive. They, it was still, it still yeah. went to court. But it's good. You know, he's he's her kid's father. Correct. And they're still working together to co-parent. So it, it's, it, it's good that she didn't dish, I think. And they seem to have like a pretty great relationship. They seem, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they usually is like on Instagram, like post together for holidays. Like he's in his, you know, his kid's life. Like they know that that's their father. Like, I, I just, I really appreciate like a modern approach to co-parenting because the reality is, is that being in a relationship is really fucking hard and having kids is really fucking hard, but they don't have to be agnostic of each other. Right. Like they, great point. You can not get along with someone and, and be able to raise children in a, in a healthy environment. So that's such a great point. And her twins, Morocco and Monroe, um, is very close to their dad. And I want to point out, I did not know this until I read the book, but Monroe, her daughter, is named after Marilyn Monroe, which I never put together. But, until and this. then her son is named um, after a room in her house. <laughs> yes, which is named out, <laughs> and she has the room in her house because she just enjoys the country of Morocco. <sighs> yes. Um, and so, oh, she also wanted them to have the same initials as her. Yes. Um, which I also loved that uh, Nick gave that to her. Because, you know, Nick's last name is Cannon. So they both Correct. have the last name with C. And she's like, I want him to have my initials. And he's like, of course, my queen. So I like that. She's like, I'm not re-monogramming this house. He's, yeah, he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. M and C. All right. So she doesn't go into M and M at all. Such a bummer. She does talk shit on Wendy Williams. I mean, like a whole page on yes. her. I will say she is meaner to women in this book. She describes women's bodies throughout I think having a bad relationship with her mom made her oh, defensive and, like, women are out to get her because her mom was out to get her. Well, and her sister literally was out to get her. Yes, and her mom was a singer as well and resented Mariah's success. So I think she always feels, even with other female singers, like this competitive thing that's inside her bones. And you can feel it in the book. Um, and also, you know... She's shaded a lot more women than J-Lo. Um, she shaded so many people. She goes in on Celine Dion for a page. That was my favorite because I remember that. So as soon as I started reading this, I was like, ooh, she's talking about it. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. It was a Divas live concert for Aretha Franklin, and Celine Dion tried to outsing Aretha. And Mariah's just like, how dare. And But then she has a chapter titled A Few Good Men. And it's just about like the 
these right. great men she loves. And I was like, man, give us the woman chapter next to that. I would have liked that too, of like, here are women, like, I have uh, some acknowledgement of like, I don't trust women in general. <laughs> yes, yes. But here are some women that have brought me up and here's why. Like, she speaks really positively. Because there are backup singers that she's friends with who helped yeah. her. And, and she speaks really highly of Brenda K. Starr, you know, in the early, of like how and, yeah. great she is and like what a reluctant mentee she is and how, you know, Basically, she has to get, like, forced into being a mentee and realizing, like, oh, I can be mentored by another woman, and this is okay. Yeah, I, I I wish she'd gone more into that, but she does give us some, so that's good. And then she talks about Prince and how great he was. And I also want to point out Prince is a, a theme across these memoirs. He's in Gabriel Union's book as someone who was really there for the black community and really there for a diverse community in Hollywood and gave like a tent pole to me- people like Mel B in a way that no one else did and and was just really good to women, it sounds like. So, you know, one of the things I really took away from this book is that Mariah is an icon. You know, she's she's more than a singer. She's more than a performer. She's an icon. She she gave us these incredible moments in culture. She overcame a life that's impossible to survive. And not only did she do that, she became a superstar. And along the way, she did things that I think would be likable if a man did them. But, you know, when when a woman's walking around telling people to fuck off or owning her power, you know, they're seen as unlikable. I think some people see Mariah as an unlikable woman. And I want to say, like, that's okay. Like, let's embrace that. I like Mariah because of the quote, like, crazy shit she does. That, like, that's what makes me love her. Because in TV shows, you know, we often have very boring female characters because they have to be likable. And we find more complex, interesting women in reality shows. At least I do. Like, you know, there's, there's the women in reality shows are so much more fun to watch because they're closer to real women because real women are complex and they get defensive and they fuck up and they make mistakes and they stand up for themselves or they don't and they have failures like, you know, not being able to sing on New Year's Eve in Times Square and then they blame it on cold weather, which Mariah does in the book. And like, let's like that, you know? And, you know, I don't think you should be mean to people. I think you should be a good, kind person, but it's okay if you put yourself first and have boundaries and don't say yes to bullshit. Well, and I think that's exactly it, Chelsea, because we're taught that we have to be nurturing to the end of time and that that nurturing should take the place of nurturing ourselves. And we're taught as little girls to feel guilty about nurturing ourselves and about carving out that time. We're taught to meek to be feel guilty or that it's arrogant to accept compliments, to accept love for us, right? Oh, no, no. Yes. That's, oh, no. You know, oh, you know, or being apologetic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And when a woman is unapologetic and is accepting of those compliments, immediately she's a bitch. Immediately she's unlikable. All of the children deserve to shine. And, you know, Mariah Carey, when this book came out, she's like, yeah, cat's out of the bag. I'm a diva. I'm difficult. Fuck off. And I was like, that's so cool. She's paving the way. I loved that part too. Because guess what? She fucking deserves it. She really does. What's wrong with saying, this is what I want. This is how I want it. How much is it? Then I'll pay you. (laughs) Okay. Very true. Very true. And again, she gives us that good story. She closes the book talking about her second Christmas show and her Christmas album and finally having an amazing Christmas with her chosen family, which slyly includes Tanaka and her fans bringing that album to number one and the single All I Want for Christmas is You which she wrote at 22 becomes a number one hit in 2019 because of the fans because of the Lambley and she's finally at peace and feels complete and 
normally I would read the last page of the book, but this one, I want to read the epilogue because it is the epilogue to end all epilogues. I actually have to reach over and grab it because I tore it out of the book and framed it. So it's hold very on. It's worthy of framing. I said I would frame this. I fucking did. Okay. Here it is. In the middle of a violent storm, very young, I was given a glimpse of God's vision for me. As a child awakened to my dream, I believed with my entire being in what I was meant to do and who I was meant to be long before anyone else did. And holding on to that belief required everything I had. Along the way, I was given signs of hope, but mostly I faced chaos and calamity, heartbreaks and brutal betrayals to derail me. Some almost killed me, or worse, almost killed my spirit. The toughest truth was that the people I loved the most hurt me the worst. The ones closest to me were the ones who came closest to stripping me of my dreams. If I have learned anything in this life worth sharing, it is protect your dreams. Even in the face of disadvantages and dysfunction, you can't let anybody define, control, or take away your vision of your life. Not your mother, brother, sister, father, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, fake friend, boss, bully, bigot, manager, partner, assistant, critic, cousin, uncle, auntie, classmate, mogul, predator, influencer, president, false preacher, fake teacher, coworker, frenemy with a phone, coward with a camera, or chicken with a keyboard. Just per <sighs> what a gift. What a gift. I I just felt it my heart become so strong. <laughs> And I just love that everyone needs to protect their dreams. It's so important. And Mariah's out here being like, fuck those chickens with a keyboard. Right? Like, and it just, it shows her humor. I love it. I mean, that is a pep talk. That is a pep talk to to end all pep talks, which we have to give ourselves. We have to make sure, like, it goes back to you having ownership as a woman and feeling okay about telling yourself that you're worthy of all the things, that you are who the fuck you are, you are a diva, you have all of the power, and you can achieve all of your dreams, and that it's okay to have those, and that those dreams don't have to supersede you nurturing for people, right? And we always forget to tell ourselves that. So like for me, like I didn't cut it out of the book, but like it is highlighted. I circled it. There's teardrops on it. I've gone back to it. I've read it several times <laughs> from the audiobook. I clipped out her, like I literally took a screen video grab of it so I can have the audio so I can listen to it on a day when I need a pep talk because it's just something that I do. It's something I do with good so friends smart. of mine. I mean, there's some days where I need to call friends and just be like, could you just remind me who the fuck I am, please? Because I'm, I can't do it. I've tried all day and it's not working. And I think that that is a great tip. Call yes. your friends and say, remind me who I like, am. It's just so important because some days you just have to, you know what I mean? Like, and I think there's also power in admitting that you can't do that for yourself. And it goes back to being open to being vulnerable again and being able to call someone that you love and say, hey, I need you to remind me because I'm not hearing me. <laughs> Please remind me. You know? That is so beautiful. I want to end on that sentiment. If you're having a hard time, get the audiobook or call a friend and say, tell me who the fuck I am again. Um, this book was so good. I want to end on a thank you to Mariah. I feel like all we did this whole podcast was yes. thank her. So my thank you to Mariah is going to be thank you for having those bomb ass bangs in the 90s. You inspired my bangs. And you really rocked them, Mariah. And, uh, and thank I you for it. that. I'd like to thank Mariah for loving her fans as hard as she does. And letting her fans love her as hard as she does. And her still being a fan herself. You know, I think that that's something that's extremely important is to know that it's okay to be a fan. 
Know how to embrace that unconditional love. If you love something, love it hard. There's no harm in that. We're so afraid to express joy and some people feel like it's nerdy and I feel like that's something that Mariah Carey is a champion from, be it the love that she's receiving from her fans and the Lamely or just Christmas. That bitch loves Christmas, you know, and she is not yes. afraid to be a dork about it. So I thank her for that because I'm a super fan and sometimes I feel weird about it because I get so into shit and I get so obsessed with things. But then I remember it's okay because it brings me such joy and there's so few sources of joy in this world. It's like, I need to remember who the fuck I am and I need to remember that it's okay to love. So thank you, Mariah Carey. Oh, I think that's so great. And, you know, speaking of being a fan, go and be a fan of Lydia's. Lydia, where can people find you online? Sure. It's quite easy. Uh, LydiaPopovich.com is my old website. Uh, and then you can find me on the social medias at, at HaterTuesday. I love that name, by the way. It's a, it's a funny story. Hater Tuesday. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Not once, but twice. Hell yeah. I feel so fulfilled having talked about Mariah Carey finally. <laughs> That's all for this week's episode of Celebrity Book Club. I loved having Lydia on because she's a stand-up, but she also has a background in the music industry. And she just has so much knowledge, and she's such a true Mariah fan. It was so great to dig in. If you guys like the podcast, hit the stars on your app or leave a review or whatever you can do to give us a rating or give us a little note because it helps us to keep going and know that we should keep making the podcast and so much goes into it. I want to thank our producer Brandon Nix and executive producer Daisy Rosario with production help from Corinne Wallace. You guys can listen to ad-free episodes of Celebrity Book Club only on Stitcher Premium and if you want a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BOOKS and yeah, subscribe. Anything you can do to let us know you're enjoying it helps us out. And if you need more Celebrity Book Club in your life, follow me on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes. The day the podcast comes out, I post an Instagram story of all the visuals that go along with this. I'm always recapping books during the week. And you can also join the Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast, where I share and discuss thoughts and other people can start discussions and we can just get deeper into the shit of it all. And I'll see you guys next week for another episode of Celebrity Book Club. Bye.